I wear the headphones in this relationship. That's fine. <laughs> I don't like wearing them. They hurt my ears. You have fragile ears. They're sensitive. For sure. Like a dog's ears. Are dog's ears sensitive? I think so. Okay. They hear those whistles that no one else hears. Oh, okay. I guess, yeah. yeah. In that sense, they're sensitive. Yeah. They... I was thinking of comfort. Oh, yeah. I guess that, too. I don't know. I've never put earbuds in my dog's ears. I'm sure <laughs> he probably wouldn't appreciate it. Clancy with earbuds? Yeah. That would be cute. He would be listening to uh, Bow Wow Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. He'd listen to any song about a dog because he's not very smart. And <laughs> he would just pick the obvious thing, I think. Like Who Let the Dogs Out? Yeah, that one. Uh, the Dog pup- Catcher song. Is that a song? The Puppy in the Window. That's one. Oh, yeah. Uh, he would like that one, I think. Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Earl over Beethoven, but only when it's used in the movie Beethoven about the dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> just in that context right. uh, I think it's all the dog songs I can think of Hair of the Dog Oh yeah Is that a Temple of the Dog That oh, was a yeah. band right Yeah they, they were the ones who were going hungry Oh yeah they were They were. Yeah They were a, a Seattle super group they, You should feed your dogs Oh yeah! Don't let them go hungry, or let them go on a hunger strike. They're just dogs. <laughs> You're all dogs, on all fours, barking for more content from the Raincoat Report. Welcome to the show. Yes, welcome to the Raincoat Report. This is Boss here with Jeremy. Hello. And uh, you're all dogs, and you're all going to heaven because of that. Oh yeah, all dogs do go to heaven. Yeah, even the Charlie Sheen dog. <laughs> Did they teach you that in Catholic school? No, they taught us that unbaptized babies go to limbo. Oh yeah, which is just like the middle ground, and they just howl there, I guess, forever <laughs> or until like enough time has passed. I don't really know for the crime of dying unbaptized. Do uh, dogs still go to heaven if they're not baptized? Uh, I don't know. I've baptized all my dogs because we're Catholic, so... I guess that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, they're fine. So I don't really got to worry about anyone else's dogs. <laughs> That's the good thing about being a Catholic is you don't really have to worry that much about, like, converting other people. You're usually just kind of, I think, born into it, or you're, like, someone who's just kind of weird and awkward in their 20s and is looking for some kind of meaning in their life <laughs> that you think Catholicism will give you. I think that's uh, what happened to my younger sister. I think so. <laughs> it, it happens sometimes. It's very bizarre to uh, see people like sign up for that, right? In their later life, if you're gonna go for a religion in your later life, do something cool, uh, like a pagan or like uh, some kind of like chaos worshiping dark magician. Oh yeah, you know some like, charismatic. Uh, yeah soothsayer yeah pick up a cult leader or something you know uh overall they're gonna do less harm than the catholic church considering the history of things such as genocide and uh, abuse of power and uh sexual assault with cover-ups you're probably right yeah i think if your standard 
is the Catholic Church, and you can do just about anything and still get into heaven, especially if you're a dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if you're Hitler's dog and you do a dog genocide, you're still going to heaven, right? I don't know. Was Hitler's dog baptized? I don't think he was Catholic. Okay, no. Hitler's dog is in hell. <laughs> and that's what people tune in to learn about. Uh, so, yeah, today we're going to talk about dogs, what happens to dogs in their afterlife. And also we're going to talk about a Bob Chin film. This week we are discussing Hard Soap, Hard Soap, which is a 1977 film mm-hmm. by Bob Chin, 1977 yes. release. Uh, it was his first real foray into comedy. And uh, it's kind of a satire of a satire being based off of the then-current satirical soap opera, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Okay, see, I didn't know that either. That's interesting. Yeah, so from January 1976 to July 1977, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman aired in uh, daily weeknight syndication. Okay. And there were actually 325 episodes. That's a lot. Yeah. Uh, But it is daily. Um, But, like, it doesn't seem like there would have been any season breaks or anything. It was just rolling. Yeah, I think think that's how the soaps usually work, right? They just produce, like, an endless stream of content. I never thought about it. I always assumed that they had season breaks, but uh, I guess probably not. They might have, like a summer break like right because i know like even stuff daily stuff like the daily show or like some of like the nightly shows will do that right uh but no i don't think they have like a season break like an snl type thing yeah uh if snl were nightly every night would be saturday night and that would make every night all right for fighting but it would oh, have yeah. completely destroyed the quality of the show within, like, the first, like, three years. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't have been, like, a slow kind of, like, breakdown with some little high points thrown in that it is now. <laughs> it would have just been that entire first wave just dying from overdoses from just trying to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think they did a lot of coke, you know, with the way the things week. went. Yeah. They were doing uh, 300 shows a year instead of, like, 24 or whatever. Uh, I'd imagine that that burnout may have uh, accelerated quite a bit. A beautiful explosion. Yes. But back to Mary Hartman. Uh, yeah. It's not Phil Hartman's anything. No. Okay, good. She, she's not the woman who murdered Phil Hartman. Very good. Uh, no, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Uh, I don't really know much more about it than that. I know there was like another one just called Soap. Oh, yeah. It was also like a satirical take on like the daily soap operas. So I do feel like this film, some of the references and things definitely probably don't hit for me. If I'd, uh, if it was more like a daily thing that I'd be like, oh yeah, people think soap operas are funny. (laughs) No one really talks about them anymore, except I think like people in nursing homes oh yeah that's the audience at this point it's interesting because uh, there's definitely been a decline in the popularity of soap operas but at the same time there's a there's a few still going real strong yeah definitely there's like i don't know their names but they're on uh when normal people are working 
Yes. Yeah. And they look weird the way they're filmed. Uh, oh yeah. I don't like there's something about it. It's very uncanny. Well, it's the they're uh they're shot at uh video 60 frames per okay. second versus so that's it. most things that are produced at 24 All right. or even uh 30 in a lot of cases, but Soap operas are shot at 60, and that's why... Uh, it's too smooth for the human eye. <laughs> it's uh, If it's uh, shot progressively, it's definitely technically more quality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, we have an association with stuff that looks like that being cheap yeah. in our heads, whereas we're used to things at 24, like film, or even 30, which is what a lot of non soap opera video shot stuff is okay. uh, produced in but like uh the news for example on tv will a lot of times be at 60 yeah um, the news looks weird too which is why i call it the lion fake news <laughs> <laughs> uh so to get back on track from talking about uh frame rates and video which it's i could passion. definitely go on a diatribe about yeah uh, i remember we i like abated you into explaining the different resolutions to me a couple weeks ago and then kind of like psyched you. I was like, Oh, I hate this conversation. But then I needed your assistance when I took over the, uh, the screenshot process. Cause I couldn't, <laughs> everything was so compressed and looked like shit. And I was like, geez, I was like, I really feel bad. So I'm going to offer a quick apology uh, <laughs> and we can get things back on track. Uh, so, uh, anyhow, uh, so yeah, we're talking about Hard Soap, Hard Soap today, which uh, stars uh, some people that we would later see, or mm-hmm. we saw earlier in an earlier episode yeah. about a film produced later, uh, that being uh, Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls. What year was hot? I'm, I'm going to look it up. Okay, 1979. Okay. Okay, so this one is later. All right. So All right. yeah, this uh, this predates Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls, although it's something we've talked about earlier on the <laughs> podcast, but... Uh, we do see some cast carryover from that. Yeah, we've, uh, we've got like two of our five pizza girls. Yeah, we've got uh, Lorian Dominique who plays Penny Holmes. Mm-hmm. We've got Candida Royale as Linda Liu, mm-hmm. and uh, we of course have Doctor John Holmes. Yeah, playing himself. Playing himself, yes. <laughs> um, and uh, we also have Paul Thomas and oh, yeah. uh, was Joey Silvera in Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls. I don't know if he was. There's Ken Scudder and uh, John Seaman. John Seaman were both in Pizza Girls. Uh, but in addition, this is also written by the uh, same guy that wrote Pizza Girls. Oh, yeah. So it's cool to see them kind of like at the beginning of sort of like a little partnership. Right. Because uh, I think they work well together. Yeah, it's a, it's a great team. It's a real dream team here. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't write his name down because I'm selfish. <laughs> my computer is still not a touchscreen. So yeah, this was Bob Chin's first real foray into comedy. Uh, he said that when he got the script, he read it and didn't quite understand it and had to read it again. But ultimately, he thought it was an interesting challenge for him, having not really done comedy before. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one is an interesting kind of series of events. Uh, kind of episodic in a way. Yeah, it definitely has that feel to it. But uh, it's a it's a tale of two women trying to solve problems and the uh, various uh, shenanigans that ensue as yeah. a result of that. Yeah, that's a common theme we're seeing is in these films is 
When women try to solve problems, Joey Silvera gets hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there was uh, an interview with Bob Chin on the uh, Blu-ray release by Vinegar Syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, which I'll go ahead and plug. Uh, the, Vin- the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray also includes Bob Chin's film Disco Lady, uh, which is less comedic, but it's interesting enough, so... It's a fun little double feature. Andrea True in that one? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. She's not. She should be because she I mean, was she, she was a disco lady. She was indeed a disco lady. Um, so, yeah, this is quite an interesting film. Uh, in the interview, Bob Chen talked about how uh, the financier of this had just financed a couple of Johnny Wad films for him and then... Uh, financed this as a comedy and uh when they went to produce the film he told an anecdote about him and the money man i can't remember his name off the top of my head um having gone to i believe it was san francisco to shoot it Mm -hmm. and uh they happened to uh call up some prostitutes and uh have some fun with them that night and they stayed the night Bob woke up in the morning and noticed that the girl that he was laying next to was gone, and so was the uh, girl who was uh, with his uh, money man. Uh, and then he woke up uh, the other guy, and the financier realized that his wallet was gone, so the two guys chased down uh, the women who were leaving, uh, one of whom had stolen uh, the financier's wallet, which may have included some of the budget of the film that wasn't explicitly said but right um there was definitely a wad of cash involved yeah Uh, (laughs) and so they uh chased them down and finally reclaimed the wallet so that's fun that's a fun little story of what happens when you invite random prostitutes in your hotel room yeah sometimes i'll rob you sometimes they will (laughs) probably not but maybe if they can do it they might uh I encourage it. <laughs> All right. Well, that that's a good enough start for things. So we'll go ahead and dig into hard soap, hard soap after this little break. To help someone, it is not necessary to have experienced the problem yourself. Uh, however, in my case, being married and gay, I can relate rather well to your cocksuckers, Buggerers and scumbag motherfuckers. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh. It's the world! Oh no, we're all gonna die! Oh no, we're, we're all gonna, gonna die! Oh no, Get out! Get out! I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm 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 going to host a podcast instead that you don't listen to on the internet and I'm going to call it radio. <laughs> <laughs> your your new podcast is called Radio? It's, um, that's the format. It's no longer called podcasting. It's oh. called broadcasting because it's just for ladies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's on the radio now. Oh. Yeah. We're taking over the radio. We're getting off the internet because it's bad. <laughs> We're going to be in a drive-time radio, like on an AM station, I think. 
Um, we're going to follow that man-cow thing. I think he's like a shock jock. We're going to follow a powered stern. We're on XM. We're on, <laughs> we're on Sirius. We got an upgraded contract. <laughs> we went from AM to Sirius real quick. Yeah, I think we're back on the internet again, which is what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay, tell us about the movie. All right, so Hard Soap, Hard Soap uh, opens with some establishing shots around, uh, I guess, San Francisco or wherever this is set. Um, We get a a card that says the Great American Soap Company at first. Mm -hmm. Then we get our title card for Hard Soap, Hard Soap advertised as a freeway film, and we zoom into a house, and uh, we hear a phone call and see our main character here, Penny Holmes. She is calling her friend Lou, or Linda Lou. So Penny Holmes, again, is Lorian Dominique, and Linda Lou is played by Candida Royale. Mm-hmm. Penny is calling Linda Lou and talking to her about how her husband can't get it up, and uh, Lou makes a joke about how Penny's husband can't get it up, and Penny doesn't really take it well, but Lou says she's coming over, so... We see Penny making a bowl of cereal. She's just walking around topless. Lou shows up, and she's wearing some lingerie and shows off her crotchless panties, which uh, Penny isn't quite as pleased with as Lou is. Yeah, she's like, look, no crotch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Penny says that she's eating. She notes that Fred liked him, who is Lou's current boy toy. Mm Mm-hmm. Lou tells Penny that she just needs to start showing off her crotch and then points at Penny's tits, saying, with tits like that, no wonder he can't get it up. Some friend she is. Yeah, I wrote that she's a rude friend. (laughs) Yeah, especially since Penny's tits are not bad. Yeah, and also you're in her house. Yeah, how are you going to come over and start mocking people's tits? It's like breakfast. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the first thing they're doing in the morning is just being a rude bitch. Right. Penny wants to be comforted uh, about this whole situation with her husband not being able to get it up, and Lou tells her that it's not her fault. But Penny explains that she just wants to be able to help him. And Lou notes, though, he's a doctor, he should be able to figure it out, but Penny says that she wants to solve the issue. Lou's suggestion is for her to borrow her panties, the crotchless ones. Yes, of course. Penny goes on to explain that it must be a problem at the office and that the way to solve a problem is to find out more. So she suggests that Lou go to Dr. Holmes' office and check out the place as John doesn't know Lou because Lou has only lived next door for a week, but she's over showing off her beaver. Yeah, well, you know, but they've also been friends since dirt. So maybe they, I guess, knew each other before she moved in. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, I think maybe that's it, but it's still kind of, it's a very soap opera-like plot contrivance, I'll say. (laughs) So, uh, we cut to Dr. Holmes' office, and we see a guy waiting in the lobby. This guy is Peter Johns, who's playing the role of patient in yellow shirt. And boy, is it a yellow shirt. It sure is. It's It's a fine, fine blouse. A secretary comes out to tell the patient that Dr. Holmes is running late, but tells him to go ahead and go uh, sit in Dr. Holmes' office to wait. So he walks in and starts to look around Dr. Holmes' office, and he sits down in the doctor's chair. We cut from this to see Penny at her house, and she's talking to the milkman, played played by by Carl Regal. 
he's having his own troubles. Uh, Penny offers him some milk, but uh, turns out the milkman has a whole truck full of milk, so yeah. he didn't really need any. No, he doesn't need that at all. But what he does need is some help, because he's apparently having trouble satisfying his wife. Penny offers to check out his dick and make sure that it's big enough to satisfy his wife. And I don't think she can be objective about that, being married to Dr. John Holmes. <laughs> not really. <laughs> the milkman says that's not it, and is kind of avoiding her. But she calls him out, saying that he's running from the issue. She says it's okay, because her husband's a doctor. She puts up the milk that's sitting on the table to make sure it doesn't go bad. And then she pulls out his dick and starts to suck it. It's really responsible. <laughs> Shows a lot of forethought. She really does, and she's trying to solve problems and also make sure she's not creating new problems for herself, like... Uh, drinking spoiled milk. Like drinking spoiled milk, yes. That can be a real problem, let me tell you. Yes. So, uh, she keeps blowing him, and after a bit, she says that this feels wrong, they shouldn't be doing this. He tells her not to stop, and she says she won't until they solve the problem. So, she then bends over the table and tells him to fuck her. As you see, she couldn't figure out whether or not the dick could satisfy his wife just from blowing him. Yeah, that's true. The uh, demonstration of its powers. We cut back to Dr. Holmes' office, and we see the patient behind his desk, and that's when Lou walks in. But she's wearing a red ski mask. <laughs> but uh, the patient offers to help her. She says that she could take the mask off and says she only wore it because she didn't want to be seen by the crazy people that are around here. The patient is pretending to be the doctor here, and of course, since Lou hasn't met Dr. Holmes yet, she's none the wiser. No. The patient says, you give head? And she says, only on Wednesdays and by appointment only. He says that he knew when she walked in, there is a girl who gives head and feels ashamed about it. And she says she doesn't feel ashamed. He tells her to come here and give him head. He says that this is how he's going to cure her, and she'll be able to not wear the mask anymore. That's good psychology. <laughs> it's sound. Uh, so he's getting forceful with her, and she tries to get away at first, but then she kind of just starts going at it. She gets on top of him and starts to suck him more, and we cut back to Penny, who's being fucked by the mailman. She tells him that she's being satisfied, all right. She doesn't know what his wife isn't getting and asks if they talk while they make love. We cut back to the patient being blown by Lou. As he's being blown, he slowly rolls the mask off of her face and down around the base of his cock. She keeps blowing him through the mouth hole of the mask that his dick's sticking through since it yes. was being sucked. Yeah, it's not, it. it's not all the way off, but when you leave a piece of clothing on during sex, it kind of changes it. Yeah. But usually it's not a ski mask. Right, usually. Not for me, anyway. No, not unless I'm doing crimes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I gotta suck a lot of dick through the ski hole. <laughs> the old ski hole. Yeah. He ends up finishing, and he says, You're cured. But just as he says that, Dr. Holmes walks through the door saying, This is his office, and he demands to know what's going on. Linda is shocked by this, realizing that that wasn't the doctor, and punches the patient in the face. <laughs> Cut back to the mailman, and he's still fucking Penny. She tells him that she's expecting someone over, uh, so he pulls out and comes on her ass. But as soon as he does, he immediately gets dizzy and collapses backwards onto the table. 
As this happens, Lou walks in, and Penny says that it's his heart, and tells Lou not to be there when he comes to, as it may shock him even more. So she walks off as Penny keeps stroking him. Yes. And uh, he finally awakens, and without saying anything, he gets dressed and leaves. Penny's telling him there's nothing to worry about. He should be able to please his wife, but he is gone. Yeah. She didn't really solve his problem. No, not really. She got him off, though, and may have caused a a heart problem. Yeah, he's got like a heart murmur now. (laughs) Something's up with him. Lou comes back into the room and says that she went to her husband's office to help Penny with her problem. And she comes back and she's bawling some guy to help with his problem. She asks Penny, what about your problems? Penny says people need her help. They have no one to turn to. But Lou notes they're just using Penny. Penny hears something and tells Lou that it's Willard, the newspaper boy, outside the window. She tells Lou not to let him see her. So then Penny walks over into her bedroom in front of the window and starts to undress and lays down on the bed and starts to masturbate. She explains to Lou, who's outside of the room, that Willard thinks he's a voyeur, so she's helping him to get over his fear of girls. Yeah, so what's a good for the goose is good for the gander. Perhaps. (laughs) It might be. It might not be. Uh, It's certainly some kind of uh, folksy saying. Certainly some kind of foul-related saying. Yeah, there's definitely birds. (laughs) He's got... One in the hand while he's standing in the bush. Oh, yeah, he sure does. That's a, that's one, right? Yes. Okay. All right, let's move on. But, yeah, he's uh, it's a it's a misdirection. He thinks he's doing something secret. Right. She's doing it, and she knows. And for some reason, Linda can't be in the room for this. Right. Okay. But, uh... Instead, uh, Lou walks outside and uh, comes up behind Willard, who's watching and stroking, and asks what he's doing. He, of course, panics at this, and she says he's never going to get laid if he's just standing in the bushes jerking off. You're never going to get anywhere in life if you're just standing around in the bushes with your dick in your hand. I don't know. I feel like that's our target audience, so we shouldn't... We shouldn't come down too hard on that. I'm not. Yeah, they might get somewhere in life. Jail. <laughs> I hope they don't all go to jail. Yeah, if they all go to jail, they'll stop listening to our podcast. Maybe when, that's what happened last month. When listening to our podcast becomes a crime, you must become an outlaw. Oh, yeah. That's my directive this week. I want them to think about that. Yes, think about that as you're jerking off in the bushes. Uh, Lou Lou tells Willard that he's going to get his first piece of ass today. So she gets in front of him, and he's still trying to look through the window, and he starts trying to fuck her from behind, but he can't get hard, so she gets down and starts to blow him. As this is going on, we hear uh, in the background multiple car crashes, and also police sirens as they come to the scene of the accident apparently we don't see any of this on screen it's just overdubbed audio that's amusing it's called um it's called production value yeah you can just imply those things are there and it just raises the 
production values of the film. Yes. Or someone just left their sound effects record running <laughs> somewhere. Lou gets Willard's dick hard and uh, asks if he thinks he could do it now. And then he starts to fuck her from behind standing up, this time more successfully. After a bit, he starts asking, can I? Can I? And she says, what? And he asks, can I come inside? And she says, who said you could come? Now keep fucking. He pumps a bit more and then he pulls out and comes on her ass. Lou then looks down and is upset. She calls him a perverted little bastard and a cocksucker and runs him off. Yes. Uh... Which I feel like is an unrealistic uh, reaction to this situation. She has unrealistic expectations of what was going to happen here. Uh, I think she just enjoys the humiliation. Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. She also yells at one point, this isn't a goddamn watermelon, which... Oh, yeah. I guess the only interpretation of that is that this guy just has only fucked fruit before. Oh, yeah. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Or... They have microwaves in 1970 whenever? I think so. Yeah, this is probably the early days of microwaves, but this is microwave era. You put melon in the microwave. Yeah. Just make sure your mom's not home. And make sure you don't get it so hot you burn your dick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Make sure your mom's (laughs) not home and give it five minutes to cool. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to Lou and Penny at Penny's table, and Penny tells Lou that they're troubleshooters. And Lou notes that the first time she met her husband, she was giving head to one of his patients. Penny says, that's the first problem we'll solve. Penny says, that's the first problem we'll solve, and explains that they'll meet for dinner tonight. Lou says she needs to do laundry, noting that Fred, her boy toy, is out of town, so she needs to pick up a date at the laundromat. We cut to John, Penny, Lou, and Lou's date at the kitchen table of the Holmes residence. Uh, the date is played by Blair Harris. Yes. Blairis. Blairis. <laughs> uh, and they are having KFC tonight with a big bucket of chicken in the middle of the table. And a big decanter of brown liquor. Yes. Yes, indeed. This is a classic meal in um, our home state. Yes, this is this is indeed uh, what we call a Kentucky Thanksgiving feast. <laughs> It is fine dining at its <laughs> finest. Uh, Lou's date, who is just Lou's date, doesn't have a name. Uh, he asks Dr. Holmes what he does when a fruit comes into his office. John makes a joke about spraying them with insecticide, but then he says that he doesn't discuss stuff from his office. Then he goes on to discuss stuff from his office. <laughs> saying that he likes to have group therapy and have his patients get their problems out in the open and discuss them as it helps them reduce any guilt they're feeling. The phone starts to ring, and John goes to answer it. Penny starts talking to Lou's date, asking if he uh, met Penny at the laundry. And she asks him, was it by the dryer? As she's having this conversation with Lou's date, Lou gets under the table and starts to blow him. Penny starts talking to him about the technical details of laundry powders and what kind of machine she likes to use and all of that. As this is going down, John sits down at the table again, and as soon as he does, the phone rings again and he walks away again. (laughs) Lou continues to blow her date, and Penny continues talking to him about watching people at the laundry and watching the clothes as they spin. 
Penny asks if he always goes to that laundry place, and he says, No, my wife usually takes it to another place, at which time Lou looks up upset and stops blowing him and punches him in the balls. Yeah. Um, as you do. Yes, as you do. But, really, I think going back to that last scene, maybe she does, does have high expectations of the scumbag she meets. Yeah, I mean, I would say that... Based on the circumstances, her expectations should have been quite low. But generally speaking, I feel like the expectation that your date doesn't have a wife is yeah, but you sort of it, basic. Yeah, but you're, I don't know. Maybe because it was the 70s. Meeting him at the laundromat. I mean, yeah. Just cruising I mean, the laundromat for a good time. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But and that's her go-to place. It wasn't like it just happened to happen at the laundromat. No, that's where that she goes. That was where she intended to go, yes. Maybe she's had good luck before, and this guy was just kind of a dud. <laughs> I don't know. It requires further examination. Uh, the Raincoat Institute. A time travel division. Yes. <laughs> that's where That's where you put on a football helmet and spin in my computer chair for a half an hour and I'm gonna walk tell out. You, <laughs> I'll tell you everything... <laughs> that happened then i'll bring you visions of the past so clear you would believe they just happened yesterday or today i have such sights to show you yes i have such sights to show you (laughs) Uh, we cut to later that night and penny is blowing john but he can't get it up she asks him what all those calls were and he explains that his secretary is going to be out tomorrow and he has to go to la tomorrow too Penny offers to answer calls for him tomorrow, and he says that she can. She asks if he wants her to keep trying, uh, referring to blowing him, and he says, well, maybe tomorrow, but she points out he'll be tired from his trip tomorrow. He asks, She asks him if he isn't satisfied with her, and he says that he is satisfied with her. It's just work. We cut to the next day at Dr. Holmes' office, and Penny's taking calls. She gets a call from Lou, and she says that she's... And uh, we only hear Penny's side of the conversation, but apparently Lou says that she's at the laundry again. And Penny tells her that that might not be a good idea. Yeah. Uh, She answers another call and tells the person on the other end that Dr. Holmes isn't in today, but she may be able to help. This is certainly a mistake on her part. Uh, We don't hear the other callers in, but from what she repeats, uh, we hear that the caller is telling her that her husband is fucking her to death. Yeah, in the butt. Yeah, she says he's fucking her in her rectum, and that it's the third time today. She asks to talk to the husband, and when she gets on the phone with the husband, she invites him to a group therapy session tomorrow night. She talks to somebody else on another call about a double amputee and a midget, and she's shocked by whatever she hears. Yeah, she's very... She's just supposed to be booking appointments. She's very judgmental. Yeah, she's getting in way over her head. She's not qualified to do any of this. I don't think, really, she should be helping people. That's her thing, though. Like, she just... She, She doesn't think about what the consequences of her actions might be. She just keeps doing what she thinks is right and it's usually wrong and she doesn't like take the failed results of the past and apply that knowledge to the future to develop the idea that maybe she should just mind her own business she's just like mary worth she's just like mary hartman mary hartman oh yeah that's (laughs) the one 
Now, she's also like those meddling kids in Scooby-Doo. Oh, yeah. They would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for Penny Holmes. They do kind of get away with it, especially the next guy. Yes, uh, the next guy does. So, we cut to later, and we see Paul Thomas walk into the room. Penny says he must be the janitor, and he corrects her, saying he's a maintenance engineer, and he went to night school. Yeah. She starts talking to him, and she's saying what, in her mind, I'm sure, is meant to be something positive, but she mentions something about his position in life. Oh, my God. And he gets quite offended by that. Uh, when uh, I worked at the psych hospital, sometimes they, I would, like, work with, like, the people, like, in rehab, and they would go to, like, AA meetings and stuff. Right. Um, and you had people with, like, different levels of, like, addiction and stuff, like, You'd have, like, in this instance, just kind of, like, some white lady who was addicted to, like, pain pills, but otherwise mm-hmm. had, like, a pretty comfortable, like, middle-class life. Right. And then the other person next to her would be someone who, like, lived on the street and, like, it's like smoked crack or something like right. that, who'd seen, like, a lot more. Right. And I remember the middle-class lady just kind of, like, got so upset hearing, like, the stories that from the other lady that... She just got up in the meeting and, like, left and was, like, crying in the hall and saying that she just wants to help her because she's just less fortunate than her. And I'm like, I was like, if that lady heard you call her less fortunate, she would deck you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that's that just made me think of that just a little bit, just that kind of patronizing tone that uh, certain people can get. Yeah, well, uh, Penny does here, and our maintenance engineer gets quite offended at that she continues to try to talk to him about his issues that she's not even aware of yet and says that his attitude and his sexual drive are all related and he blows up and says something to the effect of i'll show you sexual drive and he pulls down his pants and forces her to start sucking him off yeah he also uses his big old janitor's broom to sweep the desk Oh, yeah, he sweeps the desk off so he can throw her onto it in a moment. That's great. He uh, tells her to undress and forces her onto the desk, and he tells her to rip her panties, and she says she can't, but he reaches down, and he is able to do so successfully. And then he starts to fuck her on the desk. Yes. He asks her if she's ever been fucked in the ass, and she shakes her head no. And he asks if she wants to be, and she shakes her head no again. But he tells her he's going to uh, with his janitor dick. (laughs) Yeah, he says a lot about his janitor dick. He's like, you're going to suck this janitor dick. Yeah. Uh, He asks her if it hurts, and she says no. And uh, she says she likes it, and she starts yelling at him to fuck her ass. Uh, so he indeed does quite a bit, and after a bit he pulls out, and then he comes on her face. Excellent. We cut to Penny and Lou later. They're sitting next to each other on, uh, I assume this is a couch in Penny's home. Uh, it's definitely a couch. I'm assuming it's in Penny's home. Penny asks if they should be sitting there. Lou says, he's coming to comfort you. It doesn't matter. So we're then introduced to Reverend Hope. Who oh. is uh, Dale Meader? Meader? M E A D O R? Yeah, one of those is fine. <laughs> he uh, is from the Universal Church of Life. She says that she talked to someone on the phone who sent him over. 
She explains that her husband's out of town and he won't be back until tomorrow, so Dr. Holmes's trip has delayed him an extra day. She had a bad experience and wanted to talk to someone. He asked her what happened. She explains she was attacked by the janitor, and then she corrects herself, the maintenance engineer. Yes, she's learned her lesson, I guess. Yes, indeed. Um, With his janitor dick. Yes. Dale looks like an egg. Yeah. He is not an attractive man. He's a weird looking dude, but I think he's great for this part. Yeah, I'm glad he doesn't fuck. Yes. Uh, He keeps asking her what's going on, and she finally admits that it was a little rape and a little not rape. Lou steps in and says she got fucked silly by a sadistic janitor, but she liked it, and now she thinks she might be a masochist. The priest explains that he understands. Penny says it's hard to talk about this to a priest, and he explains, well, I am married, and she says she's relieved. At least he has sexual experience. He explains that he's married and gay, so he can relate to cocksuckers, buggers, and scumbag motherfuckers. Hell yeah. (laughs) At which uh, Penny is shocked to hear this and freaks out. She says, oh my god, this world, we're all going to die, and she tells him (laughs) to get out. Uh, So Lou helps him out as Penny runs off. Penny talks to Lou and says she needs to see a doctor. Lou tells her to just forget about it. Lou, of course, being a great help here. Penny says she's not getting laid and she's going to end up turning to other men. She says that they should go to John's therapy session tomorrow night. And Lou tells Penny that she just needs to get some rest. So we cut to Lou in her bedroom and she's there with her uh, boyfriend, Fred. She starts to blow him. Oh, uh, by the way, Fred is Ken Scudder. Yes, it's good old Ken. She starts to blow Fred, and then stops saying she blew him last night. He should go down on her. Fred suggests they 69, and she says no, and tells him to go down on her. So he goes over and gives her a little bit ahead, and then she says, okay, she just needed to make sure he had nothing against it. He explains that he's a bit uh, inexperienced, and she says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And she says, tomorrow night he'll eat her asshole. She says something about she how she often laughs until she farts when she's getting her ass eaten. Yes. Uh, uh, little bone to the fart fetishists. Yes. Just a tease of a fart. <laughs> Which is... A fart is a tease of a poop. Indeed. It's a bit of a tease of a tease, much as this is a satire of a satire. Yes. <laughs> to everything, there are layers. Yes, this is a multi-layered experience, a multimedia experience. Oh, yeah. Vertical integration. So Fred talks about how he's lived a sheltered life uh, compared to Lou. She starts talking about fingering his ass, and he's really hesitant about it, and she reaches down like she's going to, but doesn't. She starts to blow him a bit and then starts to ride him, and uh, we see them fuck for a bit. We see some missionary, some doggy, some uh, sideways spooning sex, some cowgirl. And as they're going at it, we hear Penny knock at the door. Yes. They scramble under the covers and Penny walks in. And Penny says that she heard them having sex uh, from next door, I guess. Saying, fuck me, fuck me. And she just needs release. Says that John's been gone for four days and four nights. 
this timeline has gotten quite confusing to me. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Linda does have a little heart-shaped photo of Henry Winkler. I did not notice that. Yeah, the Fonz. And, uh, <laughs> another one that looks like Jesus with like heavy like eye makeup. Excellent. Yeah. So Lou tells her to come over there and has her get down into doggy position and she tells Fred to fuck her. So Lou sits there smoking as Fred fucks Penny doggy style. They go at it for a while. Uh, and then Lou comes up behind Fred, uh, shoves a finger in his ass, and he just blasts his load all over the place. That'll happen. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's Elvis. It's not Jesus. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, I get them confused, too. Yeah, they're one and the same to me. They're both king of my heart. <laughs> Fred collapses onto the bed, and... Uh, Lou falls down next to him, and Penny sits there smoking for a minute and says that now she can go get some sleep. We cut to the morning, and Fred and Lou are in bed, and then Penny walks in to wake them up. She tells Lou that the tension is starting to build up again. Fred, hearing this, jumps up and runs off. Lou yells out to Fred, but then tells Penny that he must not be up for it. She says that he's really straight. Penny starts talking about being nervous about group therapy tonight. She says it's depressing to see so many fucked up people. She says that she's losing focus on John's problem, and Lou says they're helping John by going to the group therapy tonight. Lou walks off saying, sucking, fucking. <laughs> so I don't quite understand uh, the point here. Like, I thought... To some level, the whole point was they were going to cover John's therapy lesson as a favor to him. Yeah. Or his therapy session as a favor to him. Right. But it also seems like they think they're going to get something out of it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, sometimes you'll hear people will say, you know, like, uh, they teach me as much as I teach them. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, but I will say that Neither of these people are qualified to run a therapy session. Uh, no, not at all. Not even a little bit. And she's not even qualified to be a receptionist. No. <laughs> so, uh, can you you could use your imagination and figure out where it's going, or you could just listen and let boss tell you. So we cut to a white room uh, full of dudes with nervous tics. I feel like they had to play up the quote-unquote craziness of all these people as much as possible. Yeah, they really did. Uh, but what a lovable gaggle of simpletons. <laughs> yes. Um, the familiar face that stood out to me immediately was Joey Silvera in a wheelchair. Yeah, just rolling around and, I think, angry. Uh, yeah. Inordinately angry, probably about being in the wheelchair, if I had to guess his character's uh, one-dimensional motivation. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Uh, we see <laughs> we see two brothers there. The uh, Their credit is the Smith brothers. Yeah, and they married sisters. And yeah. That's where their problems start and end, I think. Yeah, they're going to take them to the cleaners. Apparently, the sisters are leaving them. And uh, one of them says that it's all karma. Joey's rolling around the room and seems to be just kind of running into people with his chair for a bit. <laughs> um, and then there's a guy with glasses in here. This is uh, John Seaman's character, mm -hmm. Mr. Custer. Yeah. 
who uh, was our uh, guy who was fucking his wife to death earlier. Yeah. He starts yelling about cunts and pulls his dick out and asks if they expected him to just beat off. And he yells at the one woman in the room who's sitting in the corner to come over and yells about her cunt. Uh, But the lights go dark. And then we see a guy with a wolf pelt over his head dancing around. Uh, This is Pierre, one of the other patients here. Sure. Uh, And then the lights change again, and then we see the woman who is in the room in a little red riding hood outfit. And they start wrestling around, um, and I believe it's Mr. Custer who's yelling at the wolf to fuck her. Yeah, and they all kind of get in on it. Yeah. It's a wild scene, man. Yeah, well, this is what happens when you when a group therapy session's called and there's nobody there to supervise it. Yeah, pretty much. They, gotta, they get bored and they just turn to their own devices. Yes. If they are not supervised, they will try to fuck. Indeed. This is what I've learned. Penny and Lou walk in, and Penny's talking to Lou and mentions that the guy in the chair has bowel problems, and Lou says if he shits, she's leaving. They turn on the lights after watching for a bit to interrupt them. Mr. Custer says, you must be the cunt I talked to earlier. She points out he must be the guy who was fucking his wife to death. There's some back and forth between them, but he mentions that she promised him a free piece of ass. He should know that nothing in life is free, not even a piece of ass. Penny calls Pierre into the other room, which I guess is uh, Dr. Holmes's office. And then Lou sits down and starts jacking off the two Smith brothers. Uh, she taunts one of them who can't get it up. And we cut to Penny in Dr. Holmes's office, who's talking to Pierre, who explains that he comes too quickly. She takes a call after the phone rings and pulls out Pierre's dick while she's talking on the phone to somebody else and starts to stroke him a bit. Cut back to Lou. She's sucking one of the brothers and uh, jacking the other off. And after a bit of time working with the brothers, uh, she doesn't really finish him off, but she goes over to uh, Joey Silvera in his wheelchair and says, Poor man. When she does that, he jumps up out of the chair and walks to the other side of the room and sits down. Yes. <laughs> Penny continues stroking Pierre and talking on the phone. Um, after a bit, Penny tells Pierre, Okay, let it go. And he says, I can't. And he just collapses and Penny falls over out of her chair as well. Why did she fall out of her chair? I don't know. Okay. Why is so much of this movie just people falling over instead of coming? That's comedy. Oh, yeah, it's like a pratfall. <laughs> but there's, like, no setup for it. No. <laughs> uh, one of the brothers is eating out Lou while the other is uh, being blown by Lou. Uh, then the guy who is eating her out starts to fuck her. The guy who's uh, fucking her says to the other brother that, Your wife never fucked like this. The other brother says, You fucked my wife. And uh, the brother says that I dated her before you married her. Uh, after a bit, we see both brothers come on Lou, one on her pubes and the other on her chest. Penny answers the phone then and excitedly yells out, John. We cut back to that waiting room area and all the patients are leaving, but as they do, a couple walks in. Lou tells them that they missed it and the couple says that they had to have a quickie before they left. 
Unfortunately, they're too late. Penny walks into the room and tells Lou that John's coming home, but also Patty's at her house. She explains that Patty's her sister, and John has never met her, so Lou and Penny run out. Yeah, the couple just vanished between yeah. these moments. They're gone. <laughs> we return to Penny's house, and uh, Patty is there with her girlfriend, Glenda. Uh-huh. So, Patty is blind, uh, and they explain this to uh, Penny. They explain she should be cured once she gets over it, and Glenda explains that Patty saw a flasher. And he was 14 inches long. Soft. She was emotionally scarred by this, which has led to her blindness. It sounds like Dr. John Holmes is the flasher. Uh, Glenda says that she's lucky she went blind before he got hard, or the condition may have been permanent. (laughs) Again, that's just science. Yeah. We see Lou and Penny in another room. Lou says, 14 inches soft? That wasn't a flasher, that was a fucking horse. (laughs) Penny says she has to help her. So again, Penny getting wrapped up in everything else. Although at least this is at least her like sister and right. she's blind. This yeah. is a more uh, clear and immediate issue. Is she actually blind? She claims to be. Alright, I'm going to take her word for it. I feel like she had the glasses off when she was talking to Glenda and then put them on before she showed up, but maybe I imagined it. That might be the case, but I think... Maybe when she put it on, that was supposed to demonstrate that she was blind. Oh, yeah. I guess you don't, I don't always know. have to wear the glasses. Yeah. All right. Yeah, blind blind people don't have to have sunglasses on. That's fair. Penny says that she has to help Patty, or she'll be walking around bumping into things for the rest of her life. Because that's the only option. Yeah. Penny says she's got it, and she knows it'll work. We see that there's like another couple now sitting on the couch next to glenda is that the couple from therapy i was trying to figure it out i don't think they are but i'm i don't know what where they came from they just randomly showed up i think it's the same couple and they were just displaced in time and space until they dropped back into the film lou says something about how from the couple like the guy's wife ran off with a frenchman and so he brought this woman here. So it might be the guy from the couple and a different woman. It could be. Oh, maybe she ran into Pierre on the way out. Oh, yeah. All right. We're tying it all together. So then we see the room now candlelit. And Penny is trying to walk Patty through her experience and have her walk back through what happened. As Patty's wrapping up her story... Penny suggests that in order to overcome her fear, she needs to touch one. The new girl, the girl who just showed up randomly uh, in the scene, she says, Where are you going to find a 14-inch dick? And in perfect comedic timing, John Holmes comes busting through the door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like Kramer. I I laughed out loud at this (laughs) moment because it was just perfect. He asks what's going on here, and uh, they explain that Patty's gone blind, and the new girl says she fears the dick. Yes. John turns on the lights, and one of the girls says, Oh my god, Glinda has a cock! Yes. <laughs> Which, uh... She does. I feel of. like in the scene it wasn't quite visible at this point, but uh, it, it would be soon enough. Yes. Uh, I don't know anything about Joan Devlin. 
think plays uh, Glinda. No, Glinda is Sabrina. Okay, Sabrina. I don't know much about old Sabrina. No, uh, I know she has a dick. Yeah. No, Patty is Joan Devlin. Okay, gotcha. John asks Penny what's going on again, and the girl next to Glinda starts to blow Glinda. And then Lou starts to climb over to grab Glinda's dick, but Penny asks Glinda to uh, give her dick to Patty. So Glinda walks up in front of Patty, and Patty starts to blow Glinda a bit, but the dick just isn't big enough. Not to compare to the 14-inch one that she saw. So Glinda gets back over on the couch and starts to finger the random girl who showed up. And Patty tells John he's got to try. So he walks over and Patty starts to suck and stroke his dick. Glinda's going down on the new girl as uh, that girl makes out with the guy she came with. And then Penny notes that John's hard. Finally. Patty says, well, I've got to try. It's 2020, or it's the cane. Yeah. (laughs) So, John gets down on his knees and starts to fuck Glinda, uh, who's sitting in the chair in front of him. And then Patty says that she can see. It's a miracle. Then Penny says it's her turn. So, more depravity happens in this room, but we cut to Penny and John in bed together. They're making out and touching each other, and then finally John strokes a bit and starts to fuck Penny. They fuck a bit sideways, and then she starts to suck him the best she can because he's got quite the whopper and she can barely fit her mouth around it. Yeah, of course. Uh, And she continues to... and he continues to finger her. He strokes and ends up finishing on one of her boobs really just targeted on that one boob. He starts to rub the cum in with his dick. Penny says she's so proud of him and that their problems are solved. As this happens, we get a quick cutaway to Willard watching from outside. (laughs) Then we cut to the credits overlaid with the uh, rest of the people that were in Penny's house uh, in that living room area, uh, roughing around. Uh, They're clothed at this point, but they're just fooling around. All having a good time. And then we get a voiceover that says, Heart Soap, Heart Soap was filmed before a dead audience in Cucamonga, California. <laughs> and that was Heart Soap, Heart Soap. Alright, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to give our thoughts on Heart Soap, Heart Soap. And there it was. A real meat shop. It hung halfway to his knees. And I'll never see it again. I'll never be able to touch it. To see it rise. That's I'm it. Gonna- You've got to feel one. Then you'll get over the fear. Where are you going to find a 14-inch dick? What is going on here? Shh. We're helping Patty. She's gone blind. She fears the cock. Penny, I do not understand what's going on. You ever burn off your taste buds by eating a too hot, hot pocket? Yes. It's the worst feeling in the world. It's not good. The roof of your mouth gets burnt and your tongue gets burnt because of the pocket formation. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've had a lot of uh, pizza-related burns as well. It doesn't surprise me you've eaten a lot of pizza. I would consider myself an expert at pizza. doesn't sound like it if you're still burning yourself. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, you gotta 
You need to get like a thermometer to like read the internal temperature of this the cheese and the sauce. I'm not a bitch. Okay. <laughs> well, welcome back to the Raincoat Report. Where no one's a bitch. Where no one's a bitch, and it's time for Jeremy to give his no bitch raincoat review. So Jeremy, no bitch. Okay, it's only positive things about this film in my no bitch review. Okay. Hard Soap, Hard Soap was a film by Bob Chen and his good buddy, the writer, and I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah, now that I got my bad review out of the way, my good review is that I enjoyed the film, but I do think I was missing some of the context of, like, the film's ends just not being really that aware of what it was supposed to be a satire of, necessarily. Okay. Like, you, I kind of get it, but I'm sure there's, like, this is a different me- type of media that I've never really consumed, so I'm sure there's certain, like, uh, formulas and, like, uh, stock characters and things I don't really get, but maybe not. It seems to be a pretty straightforward film, even without that. Right. I think the problem is, is that since it was his first foray into comedy, mm-hmm. he didn't quite know how to go about that. Okay. Just in terms of making a film that's consistent throughout. Right. And I would say that's probably the big thing for me with this film is it's it's enjoyable to watch, but I don't feel like it was structured very well at times. Uh, it right. does just bounce from one episode to another, but even at the end of it, I'm not entirely sure why. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it had good performances from everybody in it. The impeccable comic timing of John Holmes. Yeah. I like the uh, kind of the nastiness of the Linda Liu character contrasted to like the sort of uh, naive uh, uh, Penny's character. Laurie and Dominique. Yes, Laurie and Dominique. I would say in general, uh, I don't know, I'm so bad at reviews. I've been doing them for <laughs> a year and they get worse every week. <laughs> uh, but gathering my thoughts on it, I would say definitely the the weakest point for me was definitely the kind of all over the place structure of the film. Uh-huh. And that stuff can be fun sometimes, like, say, uh, Too Naughty to Say No or something like that, where there's not really too much of a plot hanging everything together. Right. I will say in this film, I thought Bob Chen got some pretty good performances uh, out of everybody. Uh, The sex was mostly pretty well done. Yeah. Like, I thought there was some good chemistry and intensity, even in the, uh, like, the rape scene with paul thomas and uh penny yeah uh i thought that scene was pretty good uh well done scene i also like linda ambushing the uh paper boy in the bushes yeah so, and uh the stuff where they're trying to do group therapy is pretty funny and kind of out there yeah but i would say and i'm mostly comparing this to hot and saucy pizza girls sure is that this is definitely you can see kind of where that comes from in this right but neither the writer or director had kind of perfected that sort of comedy porn yet um so it's not like as zany and it's not as coherent overall and to and it doesn't have a great theme song yeah well and to give context 
we gave Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls five stars. Yes. So we're we're Few comparing things. it to something that was top the toppest of notches. Yeah. Um, this one, I really there's nothing really bad about it. I definitely think it's an enjoyable film. Uh, mm-hmm. In addition to the Bob Chin canon, right? It's definitely better than like Prisoner of Paradise or something like that. Yeah, but it's sort of a film that's uh, kind of like a test case for stuff that would come later a little bit. You know what I yeah. mean? So uh, it's nice to see where they started. Right. Uh, I'm definitely glad they got like a lot better at it. Yeah. No real complaints about like any technical aspect of the film or anything. I thought it looked nice. I thought those kids and their big dicks flopping around uh fine film (laughs) i don't know if that last part matt there were no children with big dicks that's good that's one thing that i like about this movie yeah um i met kids in like the colloquial sense right those crazy kids not like the the young (laughs) right um i do like the central plot of the film is that john holmes couldn't get it up which became sort of like a self-fulfilling thing by the end of his association (laughs) with uh bob chen right you see how it all starts and how it eventually all comes full circle indeed uh three stars all right all right i'm sorry for a little bit of the rambling i think my thoughts are better prepared for next week's film okay so from last week where i had no opinion because i saw nothing and this week (laughs) Where I've just rambled on for about five minutes, and then next week I'm getting back on the horse. All right, wait, uh, don't get on the horse. Give me money for heroin. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. I, I don't want it. Uh, hard soap, hard soap is an interesting movie. I think that it has a lot of amusing uh, scenarios that are kind of tied together. I would say that the overall plot is more defined than something like uh, Too Naughty to Say No. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a lot messier overall. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Like, the basic plot bone structure is there. Like, it gets you from, like, point A to point Z eventually. Right. But there's a lot of, like, stuff that's just kind of, like, what's going on. Right. Kind of just episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. And I didn't care for that. <laughs> Fair enough. I would agree that, like, the music here isn't particularly standout, which is something that uh, Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls had going for yes, it. Yes, I think a lot of the music is just kind of like a soap opera kind of cue, which was yeah. one of the things I did get about it. Right. Yeah. And, of course, we don't have Desiree Cousteau here, although uh, Laurie and Dominique and Candido Royale do great, so... No real complaints so much as just it didn't have that one extra thing on top. Yeah. John Holmes is a bit underutilized here, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, he he doesn't get a whole lot of fucking time or even screen time to do much. Uh, you know, like even just for acting. No, he, the, like one scene he's heavily featured and he just keeps wandering away to answer a phone. Right. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, that's kind of a bummer. I do think that, like, the conceit of the film is fun just because, like, as you pointed out, you have your more naive Penny Holmes mm-hmm. and your more experienced and kinky uh, Linda Lou. And, and their goal is to help people. And uh, Penny is, of course, unrealistically optimistic about things. 
and uh, not afraid to get sexually involved in things, but at the same time, she's still kind of naive about everything. And she makes a whole lot of terrible decisions, but it's all meant to be good stuff. She has good intentions. Yeah. And I think that that's fun. Um, I think that ultimately the film goes in a lot of different fun directions. The different uh, scenarios that it goes, the vignettes that it wanders its way through, end up for the most part, being a lot of fun to watch anyway. Yeah, like I, like I said, I really like that Paul Thomas scene. Yeah. I like the, the mask scene. I liked and was delighted and confused by group therapy. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give it 3.5. I'm going to bump it up just a little bit. <laughs> okay. I'm feeling good things about it now. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes a lot of fun places, and if you look at it as just like a strange trip through a bunch of depraved shit with some amusing scenarios uh it gets the job done but you know again if you try to compare it to something like hot and saucy pizza girls it's lacking a lot of that polish but again that's a that's a later film made by the same team with perhaps a bit more solid talent attached to it not that like like because a lot of the talent is here already but there's just more there in hot and saucy pizza girls yeah and uh, I think that the plot itself is better defined and more uh, has a more direct route from A to B rather than it like just going from A to W to C to F and then finally getting to B at the end. This was a night chicken. Yeah, there, there is no night chicken here. It doesn't get quite that absurd. And, and I guess that's a limitation, but it does get weird along the way, like the whole time. So, I mean, sure. it's got the stuff there. It's just not, like, the best of what this format can be. Right. And even if you look ahead several years at stuff like um, The Young Like It Hot, for example, that, again, is something that is probably, uh, that's overall better put together, more polished, uh, and I think that the comedy has gotten a lot better formed. Uh, whereas this, you can kind of tell that it's just kind of a really weird thing. And there's comedy here, but a lot of it's more about the situation than actual like comedic timing and, and really well thought out gags. Yeah. Two of the gags are just guys falling over after they come. Right. I did, though, like I mentioned while I was going over it, uh, I did laugh out loud uh, at where are we going to find a 14-inch dick? And then as soon as that happens, John Holmes rusts through the door. It was perfect. Um, But, you know, overall, it's a really good film, in my opinion. It's just not, like, next-level awesomeness sort of film. So I would also give it three and a half stars. That's that's where my head's at. Where's your head? Where's your head? You know that one? Uh, Yes. It's a song. It is. Well, I guess that about does it for this week on the old Raincoat <laughs> Report. Uh, follow us on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. Uh, subscribe to us, rate us, review us. Tell your, uh, hopefully tell, good reviews. Tell your family. Yes. Tell your buddies. Do we have any reviews? <sighs> yes. We had like one near the beginning, and then I don't know if we've had... I haven't checked lately. That one guy wrote that email that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. And another guy is always saying, you know, just keep listening until we stop making them. So that's good. Yes. He 
is a fine fellow, I'm sure. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you. Um, Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Raincoat Report. Yeah, yeah. I'm not banned yet. I've created a system to elude bans. <laughs> RaincoatReport at gmail.com if you find any weird porn in your walls that you want to send us. Yes. And uh, that's about it for us today. So I think that's all. So when you're uh, got a problem, you know, take it downtown. Take it to Dr. John Holmes Associates. And don't forget your raincoat. Yes. Hard Soap, Hard Soap was filmed before a dead audience in Cucamonga, California.